Wouldn't it be great if there were a pocket-sized guide that could help you sleep, focus, act, or be better? Well, there is. And if you have 10 minutes, Headspace can change your life. I know because it's definitely helped me too. Headspace is your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in an easy-to-use app. Headspace is the only meditation app advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. So whatever the situation, Headspace can really help you feel better. If you're overwhelmed, Headspace has three-minute SOS meditations for you. Need some help falling asleep? They can help you with wind-down sessions their members swear by. And for parents, Headspace even has stuff that you could do with your kids too. And their approach to mindfulness can help you reduce stress, improve sleep, boost focus, and increase your overall sense of well-being. Like I said, I use Headspace as well. I used to use it back in the day, then I got off of it for a while to use another tool. But then, honestly, I came back to it, and it's even better. The voicing, the meditation, it definitely, even just with five minutes a day, it really changes everything for me. It's backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 600,000 five-star reviews, and over 60 million downloads. Incredible. So you deserve to feel happier, and Headspace is meditation made simple. So go to headspace.com slash SPI. That's headspace.com slash SPI for a free one-month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. This is the best deal offered right now. Head to headspace.com slash SPI today. This is the Smart Passive Income Podcast with Pat Flynn, session number 217. Lego. Welcome to the Smart Passive Income Podcast, where it's all about working hard now so you can sit back and reap the benefits later. And now your host, he always shares the second Twix bar, Pat Flynn. Hey, what's up, everybody? Pat Flynn here. Thank you so much for joining me again today in another episode of the Smart Passive Income Podcast. Uh, I'm really excited because today I'm interviewing somebody, a, a co-founder of a company called BrickBook, which I'm really excited about. You know, I have a six-year-old son. He's totally into Legos, and this is a great idea. Uh, this Lego-compatible MacBook case was Vanity Fair's ultimate gift of 2015, was mentioned as one of Oprah's favorite things, which, as you probably know, is a huge deal. And we're going to talk about all about the growth and the origin story of BrickBook and how Brett Miller, who we're speaking with today, uh, quit his uh, well-paying six-figure job to, to really go full-time with this and how the company's been able to kind of expand horizontally out of just building BrickBooks and Lego-compatible MacBook cases. If you check it out at BrickBook.com, that's B-R-I-K, that's brick without the C, book.com. You'll see what this looks like and, and you'll see just how great of an idea this is. So uh, without further ado, here's Brett Miller, again from brickbook.com. Here we go. Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm so happy to welcome Brett Miller on the show today uh, who is doing some awesome stuff. He ran a very successful Kickstarter campaign. doing some really cool things. He's gonna reveal a lot about this entire process that he's gone through. Um, but first of all, Brett, just thank you for coming on the show. Welcome. Hey, thanks, Pat. It's uh, great to be here. So you sent me uh, an email, which is really what prompted me to uh, reach out to you and uh, schedule this interview. Uh, the subject line for the email was, I quit my 100,000K, or not 100,000K, that would be a lot of money, uh, 100K job to build Legos. Thanks. Um, so there's a lot in that already. You know, you quit your high-paying job, and now you're building Legos. I think people want to know what the heck happened and how, how did this all start. So why don't, I'll just let you kind of take us through that journey. So we launched the, the Kickstarter campaign last year, um, and it, it was sort of prompted by uh, my co-creator and um, his girlfriend had just gotten done doing this Lego design, 
and then they were watching some TV and, and playing on their MacBooks. Um, and the idea was sort of if you if you see that design, like I'm the only one who's really going to see that. But what if you could take those designs, um, especially the the flatter designs, and put them on the back of a MacBook? And that way, everyone every time you go to a coffee shop, at the office, anywhere that that thing's open, it's basically this blank canvas um, waiting for things to be created and inspiring people. So we, uh, we took a, a base plate and we went to a, a local place to get it cut around and mm-hmm. made a prototype. Um, and then I took it home for Christmas last year and I was getting comments like crazy. You take it through airport security. People are like, is that a Lego MacBook case? Where'd you get that? Yeah. Um, so we knew we were, we were onto something. Um, uh, and then we came, when I came back, we put a, a video together, um, and did some research on Kickstarter campaigns. And our goal was if we could sell $30,000 worth of these things on Kickstarter within 30 days, it would help us pay for the molds, um, to actually get them built and it would validate the idea. So we ended up hitting that goal uh, in about six days, wow. and then by the end of the thirty days, we'd sold around ninety-two thousand dollars worth of of brickbooks. That's awesome. Were you always kind of an entrepreneur at heart and, and wanted to do stuff like this before? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So uh, the the guy that I'm um, co-founded Brickbook with, we actually had a few startups in the past, and then um, and then after we sold the last one. He went to go work for Facebook and I went to work for a business information company because we needed more experience at sort of that mid to large growth stage. Um, and we didn't have an idea at the time that we were super passionate about. And all the entrepreneurs out here, I'm sure you know this, you go through such an emotional roller coaster um, during the whole process that if you're not 100% head over heels in love with your idea, um, you're going to fizzle out. And, and Pat, one of the things um, you mentioned in your in your book, by the way, if if the book was around when we launched this Kickstarter campaign, we would have saved a ton of money because there are so many things packed in that book that are mistakes that we made during this process that we would not have made if it would have been around. So thank, thank you, you for writing that too, by the way. Thank you for that. I want to dive into what some of those things were, but keep, keep going. Yeah, and you have to be really, really passionate about it. And if not, it's going to fizzle. And one of the things that you, you mentioned in that book is every time that you try to do a project just for money, um, it, it sort of fizzled and it didn't work. And we had gone through that before. We'd done these projects where we identify a great opportunity uh, for a business, but we weren't passionate about those businesses. And so anyway, um, we, we'd launched this Kickstarter campaign and we hit that goal. First of all, like the marketing and, and getting to that point in Kickstarter was the easiest part about this process. Um, because once you get into hardware and you have to learn about manufacturing and importing goods mm-hmm. and shipping and logistics and fulfillment, um, that's where the real, you know, the real issues started um, that we had to kind of work through. Okay, you know, I, I actually, I, I actually do talk about Kickstarter in my book, and I actually talk about how it's not actually a good idea to validate your ideas by using a Kickstarter campaign because of some of those things, like you mentioned, because uh, you know there's fulfillment, and if you're just wanting to know if somebody's going to pay for this thing that you have, there's some there some work that needs to be done before you actually get a, a, end up going and get getting crowdfunded. So when you know going back to you know the initial idea was there 
and and you know was there anything done to actually validate this idea instead of just hey people thought it was cool and then you went forward with it was there anything in between there that that you did to kind of make sure that this is something that people really really wanted um so that was the tricky part um because when we first when we first like talked about the idea before we even had a prototype people are just kind of like eh, you know, that, that sounds good, fine, do whatever you want. You know, it didn't get a lot of enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. Um, then when we had the prototype, people were like, oh, that's kind of cool. You think people are really going to want to, you know, build bricks on the back of their MacBook. And I was like, well, I do. And, you know, the riches are in the niches, <laughs> as Pat Flynn says. <laughs> and um, we knew that, like, there had to be more people out there like us. So then we did the Kickstarter video and um, – it was actually funny because we were driving down to the warehouse um, on the way to Coachella a few weekends ago and, and listening to the audiobook. And you talked about how um, you know the Kickstarter page takes a lot of work and um, the video you know is not something you can just do overnight. And my co-founder and I were were laughing because that was like the one thing that uh, we actually did do in one night um, because I had. Uh, I have a background in, in digital film and video production, <laughs> so for for most most of the time, I 100% agree. And the next campaign we're doing, it, the video and the page and all that stuff is going to take us weeks to put together. But we were in a, a rush for that one and wanted to get something out. Why do you think this campaign went three x over the, the the amount of money that you wanted? Why did you think it was so successful? Um, in in kind of a second question to that is. Well, when somebody goes on Kickstarter, I think there's a lot of people who know what Kickstarter is and what it could do for you. Um, what are some things to look out for when you are creating your campaign and, and what worked for you guys that could work for others too? Uh, so press is always a big part of that, um, especially like getting that rolling thunder at the very beginning. Um, a lot of people do sort of that spray and Pray method where they'll go and buy a press list and then they'll just blast an email out to 100 people or hundreds of people. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I did is I actually went, and, and you talk about this a little bit in the book too, but I actually went to some of the major tech blogs, um, Gizmodo, Wired, Engadget, um, and I found, I found contributors or journalists on those blogs that write about either you know, toys or Lego or something related to the campaign I was running. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once you find their name, you just do some digging and, and stuff on Google to get their email address. And then I sent out maybe only like six or eight emails and I got responses from six of them and wow. four of them ended up, yeah, and four of them ended up uh, writing articles about us, including Gizmodo and we were on the homepage of Wired as well. And to think what would have happened if you just didn't send those emails. Yeah, it would have just um, probably just like fizzled around, you know. Um, You have to just keep pushing at it. And another thing that helped us a lot, and this is one of the big testaments to Kickstarter, um, it has its flaws, which I'll I'll talk about, but is uh, is the marketing they do for you. So about 30 to 40% of our total um, backers came from Kickstarter itself. So they do a really good job at, at promoting you to their existing audience. Mm-hmm. Um, and if anyone out there does a Kickstarter campaign, make sure to email them and ask them about becoming a staff pick. Because we were a Kickstarter staff pick, but that's because we reached out to them and asked them. Um, it's amazing how much you can get in this world if you just aren't afraid to ask for things. 
Yeah, it seems like this is a common theme here. Uh, go, going back to those articles with Gizmodo and um, those, those other places, uh, Wired, um, what did you say in those emails? Did you just, like, what, what was the content in those emails? Yeah, so I believe the subject line was something, let's say the, the author's name was John Doe, and I would write, um, John Doe fan launches um, Lego-compatible MacBook or something like that. So, so try to hit on the things you know are going to interest them, but also personalize it. Um, and at the beginning of the email, I always mentioned a previous article they've um, written about mm-hmm. um, because I think that that really helps sort of immediately dismiss that it could be this mass email that you sent to three or 400 people. Right, right. Um, and, and one thing that helps too is journalists really, really pay attention to their comments, um, even massive journalists on their blogs. And uh, if you spend some time before you send them an email and write them some comments and, and just make it so your name's going to be recognizable when you send that, I think that really helps too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's, that's sort of relationship building 101, right? Um, all the way back to uh, Dale Carnegie had a how to uh, win, uh, how to win friends and influence people. You know, talking about getting personal with people, talking about that. You know, calling them by name is is actually a whole chapter in that book. And so, I think putting those principles into play here is actually uh, obviously wor- working out very well for you. And then, uh, kind of incredible that all you have to do is ask Kickstarter, and they just kind of just got you to become a staff pick. And I'm sure you know it also helps that you have a great product, and it's it, it, it's something that they 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 just wouldn't give staff pick to everybody. But uh, it kind of just prompted them to check you out and actually give that to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, definitely. And and the thing is, like with the product, we have this advantage that we get to kind of tap into nostalgia. Um, there's this poster that we have that we sort of reference every time we're making decisions on product. And it's a George Bernard Shaw quote, and it says that we don't stop playing because we grow old. We grow old because we stop playing. And that's sort of like the, mm. the mantra of the company is like, how can we build products that make it not only socially acceptable, but cool for adults to sort of express their inner child? I like that. I like that. And you said products. So, so does that mean there are other products in the works for things that uh, are of that mission? Yeah, absolutely. We have a we have a new um, Kickstarter product product that's going to be coming out in about uh, two months. Uh, but but recently, one of the things we we realized was our uh, BrickBook customers really wanted to um, design their own sort of pixel art. And right now, if they want to go, it's it's completely Lego compatible. But uh, but if they want to go get like those flat one-by-one one bricks that you can put on the back of it that they won't you know, fall off when you put them in your bag and you can take it around with you. Mm-hmm. Those are really, really difficult to find. Um, so we sent an email out to our, our backers, and this is another tool. Once, once you have those email addresses from a Kickstarter campaign, get, get MailChimp, get SendGrid, get something and, and use them because uh, they're already supporters. They want you know, they want to give their opinion. And we did a poll and found out that about 85% of our backers after we launched um, changed their design up every month. And so we wow. started to do, yeah, yeah, it was, it was pretty eye-opening for us. Um, and so we started to sell these, these design kits where we would say, okay, here's 12, 12 different designs. 
and it includes little instruction manual and all the bricks you need to recreate this design. The, the thought was that adults are, are busy and um, they don't want to have to go research and find these designs. They just want to be kind of told what to do. Very similar to like a Lego kit in that sense. Mm-hmm. After we sent that email, we, we sold over $1,000 worth of those things in a couple hours. Um, so we knew that we were going to need to build up that side of the business as well. Yeah, I'm here on your website, and there are these uh, design kits that are, and and you can even buy individual bricks or extra bricks if you wanted to. But I think these design kits are actually really smart, and there's all these ones that are designed also by. It looks like you have your own community members designing some too, right? Yeah. So one of the things we discovered is after we started selling the design kits, um, we were getting a lot of support emails saying. Where can I get more bricks? I want to do my own designs. And so we started selling just the individual colored bricks. Um, and now those account for about 30% of our total revenue. Um, they have been, we have a hard time keeping them in stock. They've been massively successful. Wow. Um, and, and Pat, if you go to um, brickbuild.com um, without the C in brick, mm-hmm. you'll notice um, we actually put a builder together too. And it's, it's very similar to like Microsoft Paint where you can click on uh, a brick color and select your you know, MacBook size, design your own, and then it calculates how many bricks you'll need, and you can automatically add those to your cart. What? That's pretty awesome. Where is that yeah. website again? How do you spell that? Um, it's brickbuild.com, B-R-I-K-B-U-I-L-D.com. Got it. Okay, awesome. So it's a little grid here. I can pick colors and actually just create my own design. And then... When I check out, you're going to give me those exact uh, pixel color ones and everything I need to make this design, yes? Correct, yeah. Wow, that's crazy. Okay, so one big question that comes to mind here is, I mean, uh, in terms of the, you know, the fact that it's a physical product, you have stuff to move and inventory and whatnot. Like how, walk us through what that's like, because you even said earlier that, you know, the marketing and that, the Kickstarter stuff, that, that, that was sort of easy compared to, this world of product manufacturing and dealing with fulfillment in this this sense. Can you give us a rundown of, of sort of what that's like, how you got to know everything you needed to know in order to do this? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, trial and error was, was most <laughs> of it. But, uh, but there's, a few, there's a few parts where we really lucked out. Um, a good friend of mine, um, his, his boss had a warehouse in California, um, which is about a six-hour drive from where we're based up in San Francisco, mm-hmm. um, but uh, but we offered to you know do some help for them and, and help marketing on their side, and then in, in exchange we could you know use some of the warehouse space. Um, if that's not available and no one in your network has that space for you, um, there's a lot of different opportunities for like um, fulfillment centers that you can just have everything shipped to them, and then they can they can kind of do these one offs. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but before we even had to deal with the warehouse, we had to find a manufacturer in China. And uh, one really good way to do that is you know, go um, check out a bunch of different uh, Kickstarter campaigns. A lot of Kickstarter creators are really um, responsive and will get back to you if you have questions about Kickstarter. And I'm happy to give you know, my email address at the end of this too. And if you guys have questions, I can fill, um, I can fill those for you, no problem. Um, but... Uh, but anyway, so we were able to find a manufacturer, and I remember Amazon for their AWS conference. They were actually one of our Kickstarter backers, and mm. we needed to produce um, 
was it 40, I think 40 or 50 cases for them with the AWS logo before the conference. Um, well, one piece of advice I have is, is double everything. Um, double your estimated time, especially if it's your first time <laughs> um, doing a Kickstarter project, how long it's going to take, um, and you know, double what your expenses are going to be. Because if we did not raise triple um, what we you know, aimed for, then we would have been in pretty bad trouble because we actually went over budget on that too. Mm. Um, the molds are incredibly expensive. And one of the things we didn't do was ship. We had them, we had them made in, in China, but we didn't ship Mac, MacBooks over there initially so they could do all the testing there. So what was happening is they were... They were building them there, um, and then they would ship us the cases, and then we would have to see if they fit or didn't fit. And that shipping back and forth and the time we were losing during that process uh, was was pretty crazy. Yeah. <laughs> we um, didn't have the cases. The cases didn't fit the first time, um, and those molds are anywhere between five dollars to $15,000 a piece. Um, and we were doing four models. So... We had to have them redone, which was incredibly expensive. Um, so make sure when you're dealing with your manufacturer that you get uh, prototypes done first because apparently you can do that before they actually um, do the tooling on the steel, which is where it gets really, really expensive. So Amazon had this order for us. Um, they shipped these cases to us right before the conference. Um, we unbox them. We're so excited. We're at the you know top of the roller coaster at this point, and then we go to put bricks on the back of them, and they just fall right off. Uh-oh. And we were like, "Oh crap! We have four days before this conference." Luckily, the people at Amazon were super cool. So what we ended up doing is going and getting a huge tub of glue, and we spent the entire weekend individually gluing on bricks. Oh my gosh. Are you serious? 14,000 bricks or something like that um, just so we could have them for the conference. And then, so you could still get the logo. Luckily, they still fit on the back of the MacBooks, but the but the studs weren't right. And yeah. then we just put a coupon on, in there. So they said, you know, we'll ship you a new one when the new ones are ready and gave them a promo code. And that's kind of how we handled that. But it was pretty intense. That's crazy. That sounds that sounds insane, um, but also kind of cool because I mean you're this is this is real life stuff you know and stuff like that happens all the time and obviously you guys have bounced back from that and are doing really well. Can you give us an idea on numbers um, and and how you guys have grown over time and what is really attributed to more the most recent growth after the life of Kickstarter? Um, sure, one of the things to when you start to handle support, um, Kickstarter will. Uh, it will sort of like you get your money, it's dumped into your account, and they're they're kind of they're kind of done with you. Um, there's a there's a software application we use called ShipStation. Mm-hmm. Um, after the campaign's over, that also would have saved us so many headaches than trying to do this in like a spreadsheet because you could import all of it, and then anytime someone has an order adjustment. Um, they change their address because you're delayed, you're manufacturing. Mm-hmm. Um, you can handle it all in there. So when it comes time to ship, you just click go. It prints off all your labels and you're, and you're done. So oh, okay. uh, ShipStation, definitely got to give them a plug because they have, they have been awesome for us. Yeah, and so, so post the campaign, um, it took us, the campaign finished almost, what was a year ago yesterday, and then we started shipping in December 
Um, we have, since I went full-time, um, we have doubled our sales every, let's see, every month, the past few months. Wow. And, and part of what's um, contributed to that is we continue to get really good press. Um, we were featured as one of Oprah's favorite things in her uh, magazine this month. And, um, and we're starting to do deals with retail too. So, um, some of like, and, and some of them you've, you've heard of, I probably can't mention it on the show, but, uh, but you'll, you'll see BrickBook popping up in more places that you normally shop in the near future. Um, and that of course helps with the sales too. Yeah. Uh, I would recommend trying to, uh, trying to build up your direct business as much as possible though, because every time you go to work with retailers, they're great but they cut into that margin and you lose a lot of flexibility in what you can do as far as like pricing and promotions go. Hmm. Man, that's, that's insane. So it continues to get pressed, it continues to grow. And what, what do you attribute to that? I mean, is it just the fact that uh, it's just a, one of those great products that people tend to see and then share with their friends and things like that? Yeah, the, the, the word of mouth is about, uh, I think about 30% of our business right now. Um, but, uh, but I remember once I was walking, there's a Walt Disney museum, uh, up in San Francisco and I was walking through it and there was a video clip of, of Walt and he was talking about, there's one thing that all adults have in common and that's that we were all once kids. And if you can kind of tap into that nostalgia and, um, tap into that love of like building and creativity, I think it gets people talking about it and that's really, really helped us, um, but we also have a pretty aggressive um, advertising and uh, SEO strategy that we're putting into place too because the thing with press is it's great for these spikes, but it, it wears off, right? And mm-hmm. you have to have something that's a little bit more sustainable in place afterwards to keep people coming to the site, um, even if word of mouth is strong. So what are you doing for, for advertisements right now? We're working on ads on, um, on Facebook. Um, the cool thing about... Brickbook is you can customize it to any any target. So if you're a Golden State Warriors fan, you can do a Golden State Warriors Brickbook design, and then you can target it to Golden State Warriors fans. And um, as we continue to grow, we'll have to really be careful about licensing issues and things. I'm sure um, a lot of the designs on the site right now are submitted by the community, and then the community goes in and finds them and, and purchases the bricks. Um, and we're just trying to uh, we're just trying to find our our niche there a little bit. Yeah, do, could you talk a little bit about that the licensing thing? I, that was something I wanted to bring up, and that is the fact that you, that you're using Lego stuff as a product. Um, how does that play a role in in your business? And also, um, yeah, so it, I wanted to just know about that first. Sure, that's probably uh, one of our top FAQs there. Um, uh, Lego, the utility patents for that sort of stud um, interlocking system mm-hmm. expired in the late 80s, which is why you started to see all of the uh, Mega Bloks and yeah. Creo and all those hit the market. Um, we try really hard to um, stay away from looking like we're trying to be Lego, though. You know, and they've they've done such a great job. First of all, we love Lego. Um, we think their brand's awesome. The company has done a remarkable job turning itself around. Like we are huge fans, and we just we don't use minifigures because they still have you know patents on their minifigures. We don't we don't try to position our product to look like a Lego official product. If that makes sense, right? Yeah, it doesn't. I don't see any sort of 
um, n- nothing on the website beyond the brick itself um, screams Lego at me at all. I mean, the the coloring, the logo that you guys have, it's it's completely different. Um, was that yeah. was that something that was kind of scary at first? I think that that's something that you know would um, make people scared to kind of go down this route. Um, yeah, it was it was sort of you know always on on the back of your mind. I mean, I've been involved before with, with like a previous company with um, with litigation, and it's it's one of those things. It was one of those experiences that was horrible, and you and you like lose sleep, but you realize that. Even if you're right, whoever has the most money for attorneys most of the time is going to win. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's really unfortunate. And so the thing was, we we did a lot of research in, into the patents um, and and into some of like lawsuits that that Legos initiated against um, some other companies before, and and they had to do with like the minifigures and stuff. So we stayed away from that. Um, read, a, read a few books and did our best. And then at, at some point, it's sort of like, you know, leaving your job to do your own thing. At some point, you just have to kind of like take that leap and, and pray and cross your fingers and, and keep pushing forward and not be, you know, have that on the back of your mind all the time or it's really going to be a distraction. Right. And it seems like with a year into this now, with Oprah checking it out and on all the um, all the press that you've gotten that you know, if something was up, they probably would have told you by now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I would hope so, but uh, but yeah, you know, you never know. We're just gonna keep keep doing our thing and, and hope for the best. I mean, the way I kind of see it is, we're we're selling a lot of uh, a lot of Legos too because we have this you know base plate on the back of a of a MacBook now, and people can go use their existing Legos. Um, part of the reason we didn't go with our own proprietary brick sizes um, or locking system was because you know if you're gonna if you're going to build like a new a new car, a new you know gasoline car, you're not going to make it take orange juice or something strange, right? You're going to make it compatible with the fueling stations out there. In the same way, like if we're going to put this case out there, we would love it if you have a huge box of bricks at home that you already can use on it. You don't have to go out and buy a bunch from us, but if you'd like to, you know, we'll provide them too. Yeah, that's cool. You had mentioned earlier that Kickstarter. Which again was the cam, uh, which was the platform that you launched on, um, had some flaws. Can you talk a little bit about what those flaws were? What people could uh, could and should look out for if they're going to get on that platform? Uh, yeah, sure. So the first one is is definitely get the support in order. Um, as far as like have a system in the back end because people are going to move. I guarantee it. People are going to want to change. Realize they have like. If you offer multiple products, they'll want a different color and they'll change their mind and you'll need to support it. Um, so don't put it in a Google spreadsheet. Find a good piece of software to import it and do it correctly at the beginning and you'll save yourself a lot of hassle um, later on. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing is, is shipping. So um, we offered international and domestic shipping. Um, I, I, I recommend offering international if you can. Because it was about fifty percent of our orders came internationally, mm-hmm. um, but uh, we were using USPS, the United States Postal Service, for our international orders um, because they're the least expensive. Uh, I would highly recommend anyone who's doing international shipping get a contract um, with DHL upfront. It's going to be a little bit more expensive, but you are going to save yourself 
so much time and aggravation from people's packages not arriving, people's packages arriving 60 days or longer after you ship it, and then you've reshipped another one. Um, and it's just a much, much better experience. So that's something we only did about three weeks ago, and it's something I wish we would have done from the beginning. It's crazy. Um, I, I know because I've tried to ship stuff internationally before, and it could just be just, it's it's sort of you just hope for the best sometimes. Um, yeah. So DHL would be the one to go to. Yeah. Um, uh, USPS has been, has been great um, domestically. They're fine. Uh, we also use uh, UPS, and they're fine, but... Don't use USPS and then try to get the cheapest option and expect it to end up in Taiwan next week because it's just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Can, can you go over uh, some more numbers here in terms of you know costs and um, you know these are things that you know I think we should all know if we're going to get into product manufacturing and and you know when you got this manufactured, are you working out a deal with those in China to get it? at a certain price or how, how does that all work? And then in terms of discovering what price you should be selling it at, like how did you determine that? Um, that's, that's a great question. So first in, in China, um, there's, there's two costs, right? There's the cost of the tooling, which is getting that steel and the mold made. And then there's the cost per unit. Um, make sure to negotiate um, the the cost per unit up front with the tooling because it gets very easy to just be like, okay, well, we'll worry about that later. Um, and you can often renegotiate after your first batch comes in because the tooling's already done and then the cost per unit becomes a much more you know, easy point. Uh, we've, had, we've had a lot of warnings, um, and we love our manufacturer, but we've had a lot of warnings from other manufacturers that have taken the tooling and then sold the product's you know, on the Chinese market or elsewhere. Um, mm. And that, that can be a real threat. Um, one of the great pieces of advice I've heard to sort of counteract that is make sure in the tooling itself, your logo or some sort of imprint is part of the product, like part of the tooling and not just a sticker that goes on later. Because mm. that way, if they want to use that same tooling, um, they'll you know, it'll have your indent, it'll have your mark on it, and they won't be able to claim that you, they didn't. Right. So I thought that was kind of cool. How are you communicating with those overseas? So I use Skype primarily. Um, and if your product is something that's really sensitive, I would highly recommend going over to, to China and spending a couple weeks and working with them one-on-one. Um, luckily for us, we were able to just ship Mac- MacBooks and they could just click them on and, and do all that testing there. I still plan on going going over there and meeting them because I think it's a great thing to do culturally too. Um, but but one of the things um, Tim you know Tim Ferriss mentions in his book and you've mentioned it several times, Pat. Um, as an entrepreneur, um, finding ways to to sort of outsource your work um, in in the Philippines and in, in India and build real relationships with them. Uh, has been a game changer in every business I've done since I've read that book. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems, it seems very difficult to do. Like you're thinking, oh my gosh, how am I going you know, to find someone over there? Um, how are we going to connect? Can I, can I trust them? It just seems really, really challenging. But you can get you know, a, a virtual assistant um, or support over there in you know, a day. A few hours, and you will be so happy you did it. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I love that. Were, were there any challenges in communication besides just the fact that you're not there with them? I think I, I that is it a little weird that you're like here in the U.S. and it's just kind of happening on the other side of the world without you there, kind of overseeing everything. Um, yeah, it's uh, the the time zones can be can be really tricky, um, and that we we ask for photos a lot. Um, every time there's like a new a new piece made, we ask for prototypes so we can test them. Um, it, it's 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 tough, but it, it's definitely worth it. Um, it's it's much more economical, and once you have that rhythm. And once you have that working relationship set up, it becomes much easier over time. Were there any communication barriers in terms of language? Um, no. So our, our manufacturer, um, he, he speaks um, English and it's, it's pretty solid. We try to make sure that um, a lot of our communication actually happens through text. Mm-hmm. So we have reference um, on both ends. And that also helps to kind of um, clear up any loss in translation issues. Okay, great. And then to continue that conversation about uh, numbers really quick um, outside of that realm of manufacturing, uh, well, kind of inside it, I guess, but in terms of price per unit and then determining what your price is, what was that discussion like and how does that, like if you could share those numbers, that'd be great. Yeah, um, so I can give you I can give you a few numbers. We, um, we decided on our, our sort of cost on the site by looking at other cases and just trying to kind of gauge what what people would be would be willing to pay for it um, and then kind of work backwards. I don't recommend doing it that way. Um, we turned out, I mean, it turned out okay for us um, just because our product's really, really simple mm-hmm. and we don't get many returns unless someone you know orders the wrong size. Um, so that that's been been pretty helpful. I would say if you're looking for something around that size um, and, and and without all of the packaging, just the cost per unit, um, you're gonna be anywhere in the like three to ten dollar three to ten dollar range um, unless you're doing like Walmart size volume where you're ordering, you know, hundreds of thousands at a time, and then you can get those prices down a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that I think has helped us is we actually we have really really nice packaging. So it comes in sort of like an Apple esque box, um, and you're feeling like you're really really getting value from the product. Mm-hmm. Um, we also pay a little bit more because we use um, really high quality plastics, and we have a, a pretty good like quality assurance process in in China to make sure that uh, everyone who gets a brick book is really satisfied with that experience. Yeah. Um, and then the cost to run the business, I mean, right now we, because a lot of the, you know, marketing support help is done, um, with, a, with a team in, in the Philippines and, um, I'm full time on it. It's, it's cost us about maybe 1500 bucks a month to run the business. Wow. Um, which is, which is really, um, nothing. I mean, we have days all already that we're seeing, you know, thousands of dollars a day um, and it fluctuates um, some days you know it goes a little slower and you're just like what's going on and you're like in panic mode and then you realize it's just fine it's just one of those days and then uh, it's really satisfying though like anyone who's ever owned a Shopify store um, and I, I recommend Shopify too that's who we use for e-commerce um, you, every time you get an order you get one of these push notifications on your phone with the little Shopify logo and it, they should run like 
psychology experiments on that because when you see that you get such like this dopamine kick yeah so now i'm like in love with the shopify logo i want to like paint it on the side of my wall just because <laughs> it makes me feel so good when that's i see funny. it that's so cool uh that that's awesome man that that brings me to my last question here which is about your transition from going uh, from a full-time uh, sort of nine to five-ish kind of job into what you do now like what was that transition like for you what was going through your head was it a uh, easy decision. Tell us about that experience for you, and um, just first of all, congratulations on 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 making that leap. Yeah, uh, thanks, Pat. So um, when we when we launched, uh, I was trying to do both for a long time. Um, so, uh, like I said, I have a I have a, a co founder, and we would spend every night and every weekend working on this. Um, and it became by the time December rolled around. Uh, we were trying to get them out for Christmas, and we were dealing with all the support. Um, I think it was probably the most stressful month I've ever had. Uh, and then in, let's see, it would have been March, it was finally to the point where I, something had to go. Um, I couldn't continue doing both things. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I already had very little social life left as it was, and when you're when you're pulled between it, it's not even always about enough time in the day. It's about focus, right? And um, both the company I was working for and BrickBook were getting neglected in one way or another because you can only focus on one thing at once. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I had to make the decision, you know, is it, is it, time, to, is it time to go and work, focus on this full time? If I don't do it, am I missing this awesome opportunity to finally make that leap and uh, build a business? Um, and then that was that. So I, I didn't want to kick myself later for, you know, for, for staying and, and watching BrickBook fizzle away because we didn't have someone that was, you know, living and breathing and sleeping BrickBook. Man, uh, it's, what an incredible journey you've had. It's uh, really, really encouraging to hear. And I think um, just because it's, it's, it's such a fun product, I think a lot of people are going to uh, love it. So where can people go and check out BrickBook? You can get a BrickBook at BrickBook.com. That's B-R-I-K-B-O-O-K.com. And um, I just threw up a promo code, um, SPI. And that'll get you, yeah, that'll get you you. uh, 20% off your entire order um, until the end of May. uh, Just because, you know, there's, I, I think there's something about, about entrepreneurs is like this like high energy child at heart thing um, and we see that in our reviews sometimes people come in and be like I closed a sale because I put the customer's logo on the back of my brick book mm-hmm. or I sparked up this conversation in a coffee shop this guy ended up introducing me to this guy and and so I think it's just something that's contagious right like creativity is contagious and and we just want to help people express themselves it's awesome I love it uh, th- this episode will actually go live in June so it'll be a, a June promo code if that's okay yeah, yeah, no problem. Okay. I, can, I can adjust that. <laughs> Sweet. Man, thank you so much, uh, Brett. Again, Brett Miller from BrickBook.com. And uh, we look forward to uh, hearing about your next uh, ventures. And we'll definitely pay attention to what's going on in uh, the upcoming months here. All right. Sounds great. Thanks, Pat. Take care. Thanks so much. All right. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Brett Miller. Again, you can find out more about him and his company at BrickBook.com. Uh, and he also mentioned that special a discount code for you there at the end there. And all that information will be available on the show notes as well as always at smartpassiveincome.com slash session 217. Again, that's smartpassiveincome.com slash session 217. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. And I look forward to serving you next week episode when 
we talk with somebody who I've become very familiar with. This is the founder of Teachable, and uh, we're gonna talk all about online courses, best practices, and really one of my favorite topics, which is how do you get your course members, your customers, to actually follow through on the content that you have so that they will find success? Because when your customers and your clients and your um, the people that you help find success, uh, you're gonna find more success for your business too. So we're gonna talk all about that next week. Until then, keep pushing forward. Love you guys. I appreciate all of your help and support. Uh, and if you have a moment and you haven't done so yet, please head on over, uh, head on over to iTunes and leave a review for the show. Um, just thank you so much for everybody who's left a review. I, I really appreciate it. It helps out the show. It helps with the rankings, helps get more people's eyeballs, well, ears, I guess, on the show. And uh, again, I wanna thank you for all your support. So thank you for that. And uh, I'll see you guys next week. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Smart Passive Income Podcast at www.smartpassiveincome.com. So podcasting is obviously a big deal here at SPI and today, I'm so excited to tell you about our newest podcast. Yes, a brand new podcast called Flops. Flops is all about exploring, celebrating, and normalizing failure in the entrepreneurial journey. Every entrepreneur experiences failure at some point, so I love that we're just facing it head on here. And the show is hosted by two members of the team, Karen and Ray, and in it, they talk to entrepreneurs who have had stumbles, setbacks, and flat-out failures. These guests are honest and generous with their stories, and I think they offer hope and encouragement for all other entrepreneurs out there because we all experience it, right? We all experience failure. For example, in the first episode, Ray talks to John who got caught up in a Ponzi scheme. It's a story with twists and turns that will keep you hooked. It's a great story. I highly recommend you check it out. But one thing I love about Flops is that it doesn't dwell on the failure and it always finds a bright side. I really love it and I think you will too. So the first season of Flops has already started with new episodes dropping on Wednesdays. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also listen at smartpassiveincome.com slash flops. Again, that's smartpassiveincome.com slash flops. I hope you enjoy it.